Welcome to Impact AI, brought to you by Pixel Scientia Labs. I'm your host, Heather Couture. On this podcast, I interview innovators and entrepreneurs about building a mission-driven, machine-learning-powered company. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to my newsletter to be notified about new episodes. Plus, follow the latest research in computer vision for people in planetary health. You can sign up at pixelscientia.com newsletter. Today, I'm joined by two guests. Stefan Bunk is the founder and CTO of Vara, and Christian Leibig is the director of machine learning. And we're going to talk about breast cancer screening. Stefan and Christian, welcome to the show. Happy to be here. Hello. Thank you. Stefan, could you share a bit about your background and how that led you to create Vara? Sure, yeah. So I'm originally from Germany and then went on to study machine learning and software engineering up until 2017. Did a bachelor master there at at the HPI in Potsdam, which is right right next to Berlin. And yeah, basically always was interested in health during my studies, already collaborated with the Charité Hospital here in Berlin. So this intersection of, of health and, and machine learning was, was always very interesting to me. And then, yeah, after I finished my studies, I wondered, should I go down the PhD route or the startup route or, or the corporate route? I think the latter was out quite quite quickly just because I always was very impact driven kind of I wanted to have impact with my work so basically was between PhD and startup but then again just because I wanted to have impact very quickly I went down the startup route joined Morantix which is a Berlin-based venture builder for AI startups in 2017 as their first employee basically yeah starting building out their machine learning stack that's also where I then met my co-founder Jonas and then yeah after a, a year of figuring out various different directions and hypotheses, we founded Tavara in, in 2018. And Christian, what about you? What path led you to Vara? Yeah, I'm, I'm also from Germany, southern Germany. Originally, I'm a physicist by training. I did both theoretical and experimental physics, always trying to find something that I was truly passionate about. And finally found it, basically, the end of the career, working in computational neuroscience, but in that field, basically developing methods. Methods are essentially using machine learning back then, a bit before the deep learning hype, in order to like understand neural activity, to disentangle synchronous neural recordings from semiconductor-based hardware. And yeah, so basically that brought me into, into programming, machine learning, etc. I found it very appealing, having done hardware experiments before, to have this much faster iteration cycle, to like connect the conceptual way and analytical way of drafting things with a way to implement and, and quickly test and iterate upon. And I was also always interested in building things because that really helps to, to, to understand. But somehow there was always an interesting project also in, in academia. First of all, the, my PhD work, I like produced a software that is, is nowadays distributed and used in different labs around the world. I moved on to do a postdoc in at the university hospital in Tübingen. Tübingen is a big place for where a lot of machine learning and also new science happens. And there I, again, somehow happened to work with healthcare data and maintained this route of applying machine learning to different use cases. And there I had a focus on getting to understand how you can make neural networks better at knowing when they don't know. So more specifically, I worked in applied Bayesian deep learning in order to quantify the uncertainty of neural network predictions in order to know when to make predictions and when to abstain from them. And that was also interesting and also some industry projects and so on and so forth, but it essentially was an academic road and I never had planned that. And I definitely wanted to get out there and I wanted to work more in a team and have 
engineering being more important as opposed to just for a paper. So I then also joined uh, Marantix as, as uh, an, still an early employee. And what was interesting there was because it was basically also a very academic style of working. I, I firmly believe in approaching these sorts of problems with a scientific mindset. But at the same time, yeah, I was working in a team and building something, etc. And then when Vara was founded, so there were a couple of different projects. It's kind of was a good fit because, first of all, it's it's a vision problem, it's a perception problem that is quite challenging, but in a quite standardized environment. So basically, I joined and stayed ever since. So what does Vara do, and and why is this important for breast cancer outcomes? Yes. Yeah, so our ambition is to find every deadly breast cancer early. Breast cancer is the most common cancer actually worldwide. One out of eight women will have it at some point in their lifetime. And the incident rate is only expected to increase. You know, with breast cancer is a disease of older population and with, in general, the world getting older, there's an expected 30% increase of breast cancer incidence also by, by 2030. And, and that's a bad thing. Most cancers are also found at a late stage with poor survival chances and, and high treatment costs. Breast cancer is actually, in that sense, a cancer that is actually quite treatable if you find it early, if you find it in stage one or two, it's very easy to treat and also rather cheap. So basically in line with the WHO's also Global Breast Cancer Initiative, we at VARA, we want to empower health systems to systematically find more cancers much earlier and systematically downstage cancers. For that, we offer our AI-based population screening solution. And the solution we being originally from Germany, we have developed it in Germany and also also together with the German nationwide breast cancer screening program, which is a very big program. Three million women are screened every year and roughly 40% of those already today are being screened on Marwa's platform. So over a million women per year. And also in Germany, we because you also asked about breast cancer outcomes, specifically in Germany, we have currently actually just finished our prospective study. It's the biggest prospective study in AI MAMO screening with almost half a million women that were included in the study and that currently is being worked for to, to publish that data as well to measure specifically breast cancer outcomes. So finding more cancers and avoiding false, false positives wherever, wherever possible. And what role does machine learning play in this screening technology? For us, it's a very, very central role, I would say, but also among others. So actually, it was a core hypothesis from our side also from very early on that we have to build the AI. And Christian will also tell a bit more about that in a second. But we also build around in the clinical workflow. So the viewer, the work list, the data monitoring, even down to the invitation management and even the, the biopsy retrieval loop. Kind of, these are all software pieces that we build around the ML part because we believe that in the end, just ML is not a product. You know, it's not a product for a radiologist to just get a prediction score, but it really needs to be very deeply integrated into their clinical workflow. But obviously, and kind of the ML part is at the heart of what we do and at the heart of how we can improve metrics like cancer detection rate and also reducing false positives. So Christian, maybe you can tell me a little bit more about machine learning and maybe some examples of the types of models that you're training. What are they predicting? What's the input going into them as well? Mm, yeah, happy to do so. Yeah, so as Stefan said, so basically at the core, the main system is basically a deep learning-based vision system, which gets as input mammograms. So a woman goes for screening, gets an x-ray taken, and that is essentially at a point in time, four images from either breast to 
to fuse in order to get sort of basically to image tissue that is would otherwise be hidden in, in a 2D only image with a single perspective. So for images when they get screened and if available, then also images from preceding screening screening rounds constitute the input, which are consumed by the models. And ultimately the task that we are solving is is basically much like in principle, like the radiologist, though slightly differently. So we we want to detect cancer and basically make a recommendation whether there's something treatment worthy or not in the images. It's actually the same what the screening system tries to do, but using slightly different labels because it's a very, very challenging task. So there's radiologists need special training to perform exactly that task and also have to do a yearly volume in order to maintain their certification. And that's also the reason why we put a lot of effort into how we, we label our our data and so, which Stefan will also like later talk a bit about. Yeah, but essentially cancer detection, which means conceptually it's simple. It's a binary classification problem. Is there something yes or no? Where it gets challenging is basically number one. Of course, stakes are high and we have to reach a very high performance. And I mean, things are changing all the time, and especially a few years ago, there was already some hype that radiologists might not be needed anymore. We were also always much more humble and focused basically on on making some predictions really, really well and abstaining from others, which was also inspired by my prior research work. And the other aspect, which often comes comes into place uh, for especially for healthcare systems, is like, well, is your model actually explainable? And we tend to always say, well, explaining predictions is might be difficult because explanations always come with simplifications, but something like in these large images pointing to where a cancer actually is. So localizing it is, is something that's crucially important. So in training a system like this, you need annotations from radiologists. But even the best trained radiologists may not agree on something they see. Maybe one thinks it's cancer, the other think it's it's not, or you know, they're not, not sure about some specific cases. How do you handle these types of disagreements in the annotations in your training data in order to train a model that's, that's robust? Yeah, exactly. As you as you say, data quality is is absolutely crucial, right? It's the old the old garbage in, garbage out topic. So making sure we get data quality right was a very big focus even before we built our first models back in 2018. So the cancers are hand annotated by radiologists. So they really kind of they draw pixel-based annotations, they draw polygons in the image that specifically highlight the lesions in the image that are are cancers that are malignant. And very importantly, we only ever annotate images with biopsy-proven results. That's very important because in breast screening, by design, you have many, many false positives along the screening chain, right? So to give you some some numbers from from Germany, in Germany, out of 1,000 women being screened, actually 880 will be filtered out right away as being normal, but 120 will be reassessed by, by a bigger group of radiologists because they are is something at least a little bit suspicious in the images that justifies a deep investigation. And out of those 120, then 40 will be reinvited. So we'll be, we'll be reinvited to the screening facility for so-called recall, where further investigations are being done. So ultrasound or MRI or another mammogram where to do a certain magnification or, or things like that. And then still, even out of those 40, only 10 are being biopsied and only six actually have a biopsy-proven malignant cancer. 
so as you see, kind of after 40 women being re-invited, only six actually actually have cancer. So there's a high amount of positives. So if you just follow what the radiologists think is suspicious, you have a high chance of actually creating quite a bit of label noise for you, for your models that you don't want to expose them to. So what we make sure is that only really biopsy-proof malignant lesions are being annotated, and then we only ever ever show those to the model as cancerous data. And then even after that, even after you make sure that you only annotate that, kind of exactly as you say, there are still certain differences across radiologists, right? It might be just how big of a polygon they draw around things or whether they see a certain part of, of being part of the cancer, yes or no. So even after that process, you still need to do a quality assurance with what radiologists are annotating. So for us, it basically means we run automated benchmarkings where we just kind of cases where we already know the annotations and we let radiologists kind of control whether radiologists actually can also produce those annotations. And if not, we don't use them for training. We also automatically compare to the reports. So kind of simple stuff, right? If the report says there was a lesion at the lower right quadrant in the image, but the, the radiologist actually entered it in the upper right, then something is off, right? And we also do very rigorous sample testing on the annotations manually with specifically trained radiologists to make sure that data quality is really high there. So yeah, like you said, it really comes down to data quality. And I think the same is true across most applications in machine learning, not just medical. One of the things that you'd mentioned earlier is that you include images of prior exams in your models. How do you use this temporal information to improve the accuracy of your models? So maybe to begin with, how radiologists solve the problem is they many times actually compare images amongst one another, not only over time, but also within the same example. So basically comparing the two different views in one breast, also comparing the same view across breasts, across lateralities and so on and so forth. And for a large chunk, we don't necessarily have to build machine learning models inspired by how humans do it. So it can benefit, but it doesn't have to. But to give you some intuition, it's, it's certainly easier to spot the difference if you can compare two images as opposed to having to know in absolute terms whether a single image is abnormal, because that kind of, for that, you have to remember how also so forth. Basically, you have to have an idea about the distribution of normality and abnormality. And this is also where you can see that maybe a machine learning model can actually outperform a radiologist with a single image, but nevertheless can still benefit from taking comparisons across images into account. Another complication that I, I suspect you might see is variations across different patient populations, scanners, perhaps changes over time. How do you train your models so that they can handle those different variations? Mm, that's a good question. Again, it actually foremost starts with understanding the domain and the data. So basically to begin with, we are, it was quite clear early on that basically it's quite a new technology and you basically, there's a condition for being able to deploy where it's recommended and allowed, so to say, is basically if the models are able to maintain or improve the respective metrics of the established system. So for example, if you give such a tool to a single radiologist at hand, then have to outperform or maintain their metrics and this is actually something that's not so trivial to measure so there are many many publications out there that claimed superior performance a while ago it's very tricky basically it depends on how you compose your data set you have to have a representative data set for what you see in production obviously 
and the way so we put a lot of effort into basically understanding the different components so like for, for example what Stefan touched upon earlier is like there's different levels of suspiciousness that are triggered in a screening system so that's first images inspected by two radiologists then there might be a consensus co conference of multiple physicians then maybe more imaging modalities might be invoked and this gives us a hint on how difficult the exams are actually to interpret and we can basically, from a country screening system program, we can take those statistics in order to build data sets that are representative for this dimension, like difficulty, but also other dimensions like scanners, age, density, etc. So once you have that, then you, first of all, of course, you measure average performance, but then you can also, in particular in our case, where we, we don't reveal all predictions, but just confident ones and defer other predictions to humans. We have to have, and that's also published, we have an end-to-end -end assessment, basically how we measure performance there. And then we, we basically stratify according to, to subgroups and only if models are good enough for each and every subgroup in the sense of that they're at least as good as radiologists. That is basically the requirements that we have to fulfill. And in order to get there, in terms of how you build your models to get there, it's also very important how you basically compose the training data distribution is one aspect, but also other aspects can be, for example, to make sure that there is to prevent any sort of, of shortcut learning. So to just give you an example, in the images, there might be certain tags. So views are called CC and, and MLO and the laterality might be specified and that font that is used or so is maybe a manufacturer and by that because machines are used for a long time in certain screening sites there basically is a very strong correlation with local local prevalence statistics or so and if you don't make sure to suppress that signal via pre-processing that basically comes to an image representation that is invariant over manufacturers then you might easily pick up those signals which are not that which basically if you don't measure it correctly but see a high performance even though that's that's not true so we take great care of suppressing these signals for example then also like which is standard in medical fields is then also to to perform external evaluations where you really make sure that no shortcuts could be preserved in your validation or test sets so really different units different scanners different humans working to produce the data Sounds like there's two major components, a diverse data set and proper validation. And to do both, you need to really understand the data. Exactly. And I think another dimension to your questions also is the typical generalization topic, right? Our AI was mostly trained, trained on German data. So the natural question is, does it actually also you know, transfer to more international populations? And how are we making sure of that? I think that's a very central question to us. And I think also regarding to the to the subgroups that the Christian just just mentioned. For example, we know that women in Asia they, they tend to have denser breasts, right? So they tend to have and screening programs tend to start at an earlier age, for example, in other countries as well. So these subgroups are kind of always very, very important to us that even if kind of the input distribution changes in some in some other country, because we know that we improve results both in dense and non-dense breasts, in young and, and in old women. We know that even if the input distributions change, we can still perform well in our settings. And we've actually also seen that our model also has transferred out of the box to, for example, to data from the UK or data from Sweden. In some parts, actually even performing better than in Germany, which also surprised us. So I think kind of these, this model aspect of generalization was always very important to us. And then even beyond, it was also very, very important to us. 
I think it doesn't stop at the modeling side. I think when you roll out a technology such as AI, which is still a technology that is hard to understand and you cannot always predict how it behaves in, in certain edge cases. So we believe there must be a kind of strong processes around it wherever you will, wherever you would deploy your AI. So things we're doing there is, for example, we really want to also, if we are deploying internationally, we really want to understand the local clinical circumstances, you know, in what center is AI being integrated, how will it be used to make sure that it's used correctly. We also always run in, run in what we call shadow mode at first. So the AI at first runs in the background, doesn't have any impact yet on decision-making. So we can really make sure it's kind of well calibrated and it's behaving in exactly the same way as we observe it in, in Germany for all the cases. Last but not least, we are also running quite some reader studies locally in different markets to really understand how we should calibrate thresholds as well, right? Because in the end, the goal is to improve, kind of with AI, improve upon the baseline that radiologists set in the various different markets, right? But the baseline might be at very different points, right? I mean, in Germany, the screening program, even before AI exists for 15, for 20 years, German radiologists are required to read at least 5,000 cases per, per year. This might not be the same in other settings. So really understanding the baseline as well and understanding how we can tune AI to have the biggest impact is also very important to us. So how did you go about figuring out the best way to integrate your technology into the clinical workflow? You know, what point in the, in the process of a radiologist reviewing images, how did you figure out the right place to integrate it? Yes, I think that comes down to this, making sure the AI is only used when it, when it really is confident. So there is a certain baseline, it draws from a certain level, and then AI can make a decision for a case or it cannot make a, make a decision for a case. And really the goal is, of course, precisely use AI for those cases where it is better and then leave the rest rather to the radiologist. I think that's crucial. And then even also monitoring that prospectively and having feedback loops and having also dedicated local operations teams, which are very close to the radiologist and which give us precisely that feedback, right? Is AI actually helping radiologists as much as we nicely simulate it retrospectively or are there prospective topics that are stopping them from utilizing AI to the biggest advantage. That's always very crucial to us as well. Is trust in your machine learning models important for radiologists? And, and if so, how do you go about building this trust? Exactly. I think it's, it's fundamentally important because especially as long as you're in this setting where AI is a decision support tool, then basically the impact AI can have is always limited by the amount of, of trust the radiologist has, right? I mean, AI can make so many recommendations if radiologists fundamentally don't trust the AI and don't trust the AI's recommendation, then you basically get back to baseline performance, right? So we have quite a few things that we basically call trust-building exercises with the radiologist. It starts even before going live with letting radiologists have a say in how we configure, how we calibrate. There might be radiologists who prefer to reduce their phosphorus rates, or there might be radiologists who rather prefer yeah, for negative rates, right? And kind of it's it's two different settings that you can so surely accommodate by calibrating the AI. And even post go live, even after radiologists use the AI for a quarter, half a year, a year, I think constantly looking at cases, especially cases where where AI and radiologists disagree and and learn from both sides, right? I mean, we know the biopsy always, so we know who was right. So I think there's learning for us in there as an AI company in to further improve our models 
but there's also learning and trust building in there for radiologists, right? Where for some cases where the AI maybe was was right. And I think creating the platform for those discussions is I think crucial for, for trust building. Is there any advice you could offer to other leaders of AI powered startups? Sure, yeah. I think for us, the first and foremost was really to go deep into the domain. Domain knowledge really, really is crucial. I think this this problem shouldn't be approached as a purely technical, let's build a, a model problem. But in order to have the biggest impact, in our case, you really need to understand breast cancer screening really, really well with all the all the different trade-offs that are made at various parts of the, of, of the screening process. So I think the first advice I would give definitely is really going very, very deep on the domain and kind of not treating it as a purely technical problem. I think the second one is also that before to really focus on the actual integration, on the actual use cases. Yeah, A model prediction isn't, isn't a use case. A use case is, in our case, for example, filtering down the huge amount of, of normals to a much, much smaller subset such that radiologists can focus their time more on the, on, on the harder cases. And kind of working on the integration and investing into that and working on the clinical workflow as well, for us, has proven to be the right path. And I think that's what at least even after deploying, I think monitoring is crucial, right? Again, these, these AI systems, there can be distribution shifts, there can be unexpected things you've never seen in training. So I think constantly monitoring your AI and also having the means to do that, being able to react quickly is, I think, also crucial. Yeah. So maybe one thing to add is it's also like, I think, confirmed me in, in, in entering that world, which is interesting. It's like, especially maybe for like younger AI part startups or so, because very initially, like I found personally, I found it quite challenging coming from the scientific background. Basically, you do R&D work, but the business world sometimes runs much faster, but both actually live in a world of uncertainty. So both the business model has to be figured out, as well as the models that the core problem has to be solved. And on all these levels, it actually tremendously helps to embrace a scientific working attitude. Basically, create alignment on stuff that you know or that you don't know and place your bets in agreeing with your team members and then working towards that and like gradually reducing like doing experiments to to figure out okay how much data more might we might we actually need etc gradually that basically became part of the dna of vara maybe it hasn't always been the case but evolved quite naturally to be the case i think those are both great pieces of advice and finally, where do you see the impact of VARA in three to five years? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. Obviously, also a question we're thinking about a lot. I think something we see right now, which we definitely weren't sure when we started the company, is that I think automation, at least for a subset of cases, is, I think, definitely on the horizon. So, for example, in Germany, each mammogram exam is inspected by two radiologists independently. Basically, if one of those find it suspicious, there is the, the follow-up process that I, that I described earlier. And I think it's definitely on the horizon that, for example, one or a subset of one of the of, of these two radiologists can partly be taken over by an AI to the benefit of, I think, everyone involved. Because radiologists, again, can then focus on the on the harder, on the more tricky cases. And I think there's more and more evidence coming, coming out now, also internationally, also not only from us, that AI in this very specific sub- niche of breast cancer screening can definitely automate a certain part of the radiological workload in the future. And it wasn't always clear to us or wasn't that clear to us, but I think it, it will come. There might even be a time in the future where 
it might not be ethical to not use AI just because the evidence is pointing more and more in the direction of using AI. And especially also for us, kind of with that, seeing that even in very mature and very developed screening markets, like the Western European markets we're looking into, I think a core vision and a core process for us always was to also scale this expertise markets where this expertise is missing, right? Where there is a certain lack of, of experienced radiologists that stop a screening program from being established in you know countries that don't have a screening program yet, but but that are basically at the at the point where it would make sense now. And I think scaling this expertise is definitely something we foresee and we we really motivated to work on in the next three to five years. Obviously I hope that this will be an example of AI for health uh, being a success. I think there's so much happening in the field and also the field has changed tremendously in the last few years and so. I agree on automation will be a big topic. Ultimately, however, it's still somewhat up to the user. Like we've seen like recently this hype about autonomous driving in California and then some back circling. And at some point you always have to hand over to a human and present something that has to be of high quality. So definitely interesting times ahead. This has been great, Stefan and Christian. I appreciate your insights today. I think this will be valuable to many listeners. Where can people find out more about you and Vara online? Yeah, our webpage is vara.ai, so V-A-R-A dot A-I. And yeah, I invite people to check it out and reach out to us. Perfect. Thanks for joining me today. Thank you, Heather. Thank you very much. All right, everyone. Thanks for listening. I'm Heather Couture, and I hope you join me again next time for Impact AI. Thank you for listening to Impact AI. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and share with a friend. And if you'd like to learn more about computer vision applications for people and planetary health, you can sign up for my newsletter at pixelscientia.com newsletter.